really organically, really like spontaneously. It's not just going in there and making a noise, folks. <laughs> the Classic Rock Files with Kelly Parker and Mike Young. Hi, Mike. Oh, hi, Kelly. Okay, we kick it off today in our uh, typical and standard lawsuit slot. Don Henley testified before Congress yesterday in a bid to revamp copyright laws that he says are badly outdated. He said he had a responsibility to speak out on behalf of others. Uh, of course, the Eagles have consistently shut down any attempts to post material owned by them online. And so what he says is, I wanted to improve outdated laws and regulations that have been abused for over 20 years by big tech. Here's part of what he said. In a world where more than 500 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute, more than 1 billion videos are viewed on TikTok every day, and there are over 500 million daily active users on Instagram, it is clear that the massive online services are flourishing while artists have no ability to combat the rampant infringement that occurs on these platforms. At age 73 and indefinitely homebound by the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm in the final chapter of my career. But I come here out of a sense of duty and obligation to those artists and those creators who paved the road for me and my contemporaries and for those who will travel this road after us. It is truly unfortunate and patently unfair that the music industry is perceived only in terms of its most successful and wealthy celebrities, when in fact there are millions of people working in the industry, struggling in relative obscurity, people whose voices would never be heard were it not for hearing such as the one being held today. I come down on kind of both sides of this, so I totally understand what he's saying in terms of the fact that I think later on in his speech he was quoted as saying that the current laws are a relic of a MySpace era in a TikTok world. So he's really doubling down on the digital landscape causing distress to musicians around the world. Content creators, digitally speaking, whether they be on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, have been paving this path as they go. And the government has kind of been going along with the content creators because it's all uncharted territory. And it becomes very difficult to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's fair use, what's not fair use, and how this slides into existing laws. So, for example, with TikTok, you see people doing these dance routines and then someone it'll become a you know viral and then everybody else does the same routine to the same song and mm -hmm. it generates thousands and thousands of tiktok videos using the same song mm -hmm. and oftentimes we don't know who does that song we don't know their name we don't know the name of the song i mean one of the big ones it's a meme right now it's been going on for several months is the guys in africa with the coffins the, the dance that they do right that song that plays right. you have no idea who did that song I, you have no idea the eagles you have no sure. idea what it's called no so that's that right there is a problem mm -hmm. because this is a song that is in people's heads now it's catchy and they don't even know who does it yeah when it, what year it was released or anything like that. So I totally see that that is a problem. Are you saying that Siri can't help out? You can't say, say hey, Siri, what's this? I, I mean, I looked it up as who it was. I've forgotten who it was because it doesn't, okay. it's not my type of music. Um, but Siri contributing to the program right now. Did you now, happen so. to notice that Siri answered me? Yeah, Sorry. well, get her to help you out with that <laughs> coffin dance song. Um, but on the other side of it, I think that's great exposure for these artists. We remember the Harlem Shake, remember, with Bauer? How much money did he make off of those Harlem Shake videos that was just because of these platforms, right? You know who just had an aneurysm when you said that? Is every working musician out there who is constantly asked to come and play at a gala or do the band thing at a charity thing and say, hey, we can't pay you, but it's good exposure. That drives musicians nuts. But I do understand where you're going with it. 
Oftentimes, and this is in a lot of areas of the world, you work hard so you can make money later on the back end, right? Yes. You know, you take a hit up front so you can make money on the back end. I get that that's where you were going. And uh, so, I mean, Bauer wasn't, when the Harlem Shake song was used, his music was used to make Mm -hmm. that thing that went viral for months, Mm -hmm. uh, years ago. He wasn't asked if he could use it. Someone just created it and used it. And then he made this money on the back end, right? He was able to forge himself a series of tour dates mm-hmm. and get spins for his album that wouldn't have come if people didn't know who he was through this song, etc. So, I mean, that's an example of it working positively for an artist. I pointed out a negative one with the coffin dance because we don't even know who does that. Right. So um, <laughs> there's a problem there. But there's so many other areas that are affected that yeah. you don't really hear the complaining because they often realize that we're happy with the exposure that our pieces get and a there's really no way to police it and i find with the internet you're in a real tough spot because how do you police it that's how do you make sure that everyone is paid fairly based on every single stream of a tiktok video all of this space youtube etc is intros getting people in the door to your Mm -hmm. brand and they have to give up on the revenue for that if it comes it's great but like don't double down and try and shut that down because you will regret it there's a lot of channels on youtube with african-american content creators and they listen to classic rock because that's not typically a format the first listen type yeah that they would listen to and there's a lot of very notable influencers that are doing these videos and i enjoy watching them just because they're hearing them for the first time and the expressions and like they're so blown away by by the guitar solos or the singing etc and i guarantee you that so many uh young people who watch these videos are being exposed to these acts like the eagles yeah uh, for the very first time via this type a lot of time would be hey your parents have exposed you hey the radio has exposed you now there are so many more avenues for a young person to be exposed to great music I wouldn't try and fight it if I were Don Henley. I would that's, say this is letting people in the door and we will take whatever we can get. That's a great point. I understand that you're dealing with huge acts typically in those videos you're talking about um, that don't have this problem, as Henley said. You know, it's not about big, huge bands like us. It's about these people that are struggling. But again, this is all a huge gray area and definitely an uphill climb. And also, Don Henley, I don't know why they called him or whether he volunteered or what, because nobody has been more guilty than the Eagles of overcharging their fans over the years, especially for concert tickets. Yeah, it's ludicrous. I discover music all kinds of ways. I'm 36. You discover music all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. I'm 37. Exactly. So a year (laughs) older than me. And people who are 12 years old discover music in different ways than I do and you do. So I think we have to just embrace all of this. And if you're a musician, like, yeah, things have changed. But at the same time, like, there are so many more avenues now for people to discover who you are than there ever were. So your chance of making it in the music industry, making a living, astronomically higher now than they were back in the 60s and 70s. Yes, and all of this easy for us to say because we're not struggling musicians, but uh, it's not getting any easier out there in the music world. Okay, Elton John, he's made his millions, and he took to Twitter during a Rocketman watch party with fans to share the backstory behind some of the most intimate parts of the film, including his drug use and his parents' relationship. He kicked off the watch party by saying, quote, I was never interested in looking back at my career, but that changed when I had kids. I became less conscious about keeping it all to myself and loved the idea of them having a film to go back to that captures the true spirit of their father's life. So first of all, that's a huge endorsement for the film, but also some of the uh, posts that he put up during this watch party were pretty revealing. 
Yeah, and a lot of it had to do with uh, his drug use or his activities outside of music, um, yeah. one of which specifically said... Um, Everything in the room starts levitating. I've been slogging around the clubs back home to so many people who weren't interested, but then everything clicked at the troubadour. My career went off like a missile. And uh, that's the point when, you know, I think his life kind of starts to take a different turn. The fame comes yep. with the excess that goes along with it. And he went on to talk about his cocaine use. Yeah, and that troubadour show, of course, uh, depicted in the movie with the audience levitating. That's what he was referring to. Elton John also talked, as you mentioned, about his drugs. And one of his posts said... It took a fairly Herculean effort to get yourself noticed for taking too much cocaine in the music industry of the 1970s L.A., but I was clearly prepared to put the hours in. He, well, he talked about his costumes as well. He said, the more my life with drink and drugs spiraled into unhappiness, the more my stage costumes became ludicrous and outrageous. <laughs> so I guess as you watch that film and as you look at pictures from back in the day, you can just follow his drug use with those costumes. Wow. And also uh, he posted about uh, he and Bernie. He said, seeing this scene for the first time set me off sobbing again. Bernie was one of those people who tried to tell me to stop doing drugs and I wouldn't listen, but he stuck by me and never gave up on me. I love the idea of the artists doing these watch-alongs with uh, the movies. Motley Crue did one a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. for The Dirt. Um, obviously, people are looking for something to reach out to your audience uh, during this pandemic and, and connect with people, but I almost wish it was a little more genuine. Obviously, these are tweets that were pre-prepared mm. based on points in the movie. I wish it was more of a Q&A atmosphere, you know? Hey, let's stream this here, and I can chat with you all and, like, really get in the, the weeds and answer some questions as we're going here. Yeah. But this it's something. Is the start. It's something. Finally, here we know that uh, music venues around the world are struggling because of the shutdown of the concert business. As a matter of fact, I believe there was a crowdfunding campaign going on last week to help raise funds for the Pyramid here in town because their bills keep on coming. Now, well, Nick Cave has uh, jumped into the act with one of the fundraisers. If you maybe you think you haven't heard Nick Cave before, he does the theme song to uh, Peaky Blinders, if you remember that TV show. is fairly mm -hmm. su successful. Red Right Hand uh, was the theme song. There's a club in London called The Trinity, and it's actually done uh, a great job of launching some current UK acts, including uh, Bastille and Bombay Bicycle Club. And obviously that club, just a small place, 200 capacity. They didn't qualify for government funding during this pandemic. So yeah. their owner, Chris Perdue, was looking to fundraise some money to kind of keep this club afloat because they don't know when they're able to be open. And because he's a big fan of Nick Cave, his friends actually reached out to Nick Cave, told them about the situation, and Nick Cave said, you know what, I would love to help. Here's yeah. how I'm going to do it. He donates a pair of unworn, mind you, silver glittery gucci socks and an accompanying piece of hand-drawn art that reads this pair of sparkly socks officially belong to nick cave and are worth a effing fortune <laughs> do you suppose he just had those around and he said you know i haven't worn these sparkly sequin socks i'll donate these or do you think he went out and bought some either way it's hilarious that it's they're un they're specifically unworn yeah that's the funny part to me of all things. He chose to donate <laughs> socks, not, you know, handwritten lyrics. No. Nothing that has any real material value yeah. to a music fan or a fan of Nick Cave. You wouldn't, it's like the, the Seinfeld episode where Kramer steals screen legend Anthony Quinn's undershirt while he's suntanning in Central Park. It amazes me and it's hilarious how you could somehow always get these things back to a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> Everything ties into Seinfeld. I mean, they're all locked into your brain. Oh, yeah. Is there anything weird that you would have got over the years that you just, like, came into your possession that was maybe owned by someone famous? That's just a weird thing. 
I don't know if it's a weird thing, but at um, at another radio station building I worked at in town, uh, at one point they were just getting rid of a whole bunch of stuff, and they were clearing out the music library, and I noticed on the floor for, like, months and months, a gold record. I finally asked somebody, like, is anybody, is this, what's happening with this? Oh, we're going to toss that out. Nope, you're not. I took it home, and it's up on my wall at home. It is the gold record for Harlequin's Love Crimes. I have it in my basement, and a couple of times George has come over on our way to play golf or whatever, and he's walked right by it, has never even noticed it on the wall. You haven't cracked the glass and asked him to sign it? No, we, I always think about this afterwards. I, I walk by it myself, and I go, the gold, oh, crap, George was just here. So, so far... He doesn't know, apparently, that I've got his gold record up in Put my basement. Put a to-do list together and get that done. I should, yeah. This is just something you could get at any type of concert you go to. I just happen to have it, and it's particularly funny for me because of who it is. Is I was able to go to a concert, sit very close to the front. I think I was in the front row or second row for this concert. Sometimes the artists will wipe themselves down with a towel and throw that out to the crowd. Elvis I, was famous for I that. caught the towel okay. at this particular show. Vince Neil solo, <laughs> opening for Poison at the Winnipeg Arena. Of all people, <laughs> Vince right. Neil. That's right. I've never washed it. I still have it at home. Oh, my God. It's in a box somewhere. But, yeah, I've got Vince Neil's DNA in my home. You know what? That's possibly the most ironic thing I've ever heard from you. It is. and uh, But <laughs> yeah. I haven't ever gone out and bought something like this. Would you spend money? Is that, who's your favorite artist? Roger Waters. If Roger Waters says, here's some socks, unworn. I donated to save this club. Would you throw a bid in there just to see if you could get it? There'd have to be at least an autograph or something. Like, it, What about the handwritten it, note that these are my I socks? I guess if it's a handwritten note, I guess. Yeah. I, I think I would feel a little silly about that one. Me but too. But I might pull the trigger on it for a handwritten note from Roger Waters with an actual signature. Would it make any difference if the socks were worn? You know what? I might spend an extra five <laughs> or ten on that if the socks were worn. Follow-up question. You win the socks. They yeah. are worn by Roger Waters. Yeah. You get the package at home. Yeah. Maybe the socks are in some kind of a Ziploc bag or something to maintain their quality during the transportation process. Do you sniff them? <laughs> this conversation is taking a turn. You know what? If you've got a set of famous socks that are game-worn... For one reason or another, I think you got to give them a sniff. You got to. That's the first thing you got to do because that's when they're going to be the most potent from that person yeah. out of the box. Like you even know? if you're just concerned about hanging them up and having them stink up your room, you probably want to go like, what is the level of stink on this? Like these ladies on the internet that will sell like used yeah. undergarments. Yeah. Again, you think the people buying t- those things aren't <laughs> sniffing as soon as it comes out of the box? Well, that's why they among buy other them. things. That's why they buy them as far as I'm aware. I wouldn't feel the same about Roger Waters socks. I can tell you that right now. I've never done it, but some wrestlers that are past their prime, you know, they've retired, they go ahead and go through their costumes and outfits yeah, sure, and they sell yeah. ring-worn boots or ring-worn tights. Yeah. If I ever bought, I'm sniffing. You know, I'm taking a sniff. I want to feel the era, the atmosphere. Absorb. I do. I want all of my senses to be locked into this thing. Well, God, I'm going to have nightmares now. So it sucks that the person who wins these socks can't have that with the Nick Cave socks because they're just going to smell like the local Kmart or wherever he purchased them. Although if he did have them in his drawer and just hadn't worn them yet, they might smell, you know, like a rich mahogany for his dresser. Yeah, that is the classic Rock Files. (laughs) I'm going to go have a shower now. 94.3 The Drive Music Director, Mike Young. Thank you. Thank you.